What's up, guys? Welcome back to Engine 25 Reviews, the show where I invite friends, colleagues, academics, filmmakers, others who are generally funnier, smarter, and more qualified than me. And we talk about movies, TV shows, and stuff we think is cool. Uh, if you like that, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, tell your friends. Um, trying to get back into the swing and doing regular episodes. They usually come out on Sundays. If you ring that bell, you'll never miss one. Uh, we're available on YouTube as a video and as an audio podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public with more to come. Apparently, Google Podcasts just went away, so that's annoying. Um, uh, just search Ninja 25 Reviews in your favorite service, No Space Ninja 25, or hit one of the links in the notes down below. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm your host. Uh, you can find me at Ninja 25 on all the things, sometimes with an underscore at the end. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. But uh, before we get there, I want to introduce our guests and talk about some uh, cool stuff we've been doing. Um, Catherine Burrell is a uh, communication PhD student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, specializing in film studies. Uh, she holds a BA in theater and film studies from Georgia Southern University. Uh, that's where I went to. And an MA in communication and documentary studies from Northern Arizona University. Uh, Daniel Singleton ordered, earned a PhD in English with a specialization in film and media studies from the University of Rochester. He has taught uh, courses in literature, film, media, and has uh, and writing at several schools across the United States. He's a published author. You should give him a Google search and uh, check out his stuff. Um, hey, guys, how, how are you doing these days? Katie, Tired. Bad tired. school life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, my easily, so I'm I'm thrilled. She uh, she after I put her in her bed, it's always a gamble as to whether or not it's going to make me sing an orchestra's you know worth of songs, or if she's just going to say bye, dad. Oh. Tonight she said bye, daddy. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I have a um, I have a, a two year old niece who is adorable, um, but yeah, I don't I don't deal with bedtime stuff that happens at my brother's house um it's a whole it's a whole experience man it's it's nothing nothing else is quite like bedtime with a two-year-old you know love it unique um other than flower moon what have you guys uh what have you guys been watching lately see anything good anything um i know Kate, i was just talking about some stuff for school what about you dan well, it's, you know, movie-wise, I have been watching a few other Scorsese films. I kind of doubled back um, and rewatched Gangs of New York and uh, After Hours. So, okay. um, but most of my 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 downtime, I've been playing uh, the Arkham Knight game on Steam Deck. So that's <laughs> I'm 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 like, I'm like deep into Batman. I actually started reading uh, The Dark Knight Returns earlier today. So I'm Very I'm kind of like uh, spreading. Out. And a bunch of different things. Good choice. Um, but um, all sort of in the worry. Uh, Katie, anything um, in the pre-show, we were talking about some stuff you're doing for school, but anything you want to mention other than Flower Moon? If the answer is no, we that's do cool. There's so much. No, it's good. It's just such a, it's an ingrained part of my life as part of the of grad school grind and what I've chosen to do with my free time. <laughs> I made the very productive mistake of um putting together my free time to go to the movies with the ethnography project so i've been to the movies a lot but um 
some of that, some of the research coming out of it, the things that I'm seeing have to do with spectacle and like the new things that are not new releases at the cinema. So like I saw the Britney Spears re-release of Crossroads. Uh, I saw that with some friends of mine and that was really fun. That was like, I mean, I'm going to end up writing something about it. And um, I, for Halloween, I have a really great local cinema. Shout out to Amber Cinema. And they programmed some really cool stuff. And they had some really awesome stuff going on for Halloween. So I got to see the 1931 Dracula big screen was just like a whole weird thing in itself and that was really cool nice i'm a, it, a um, big fan good old bella lugosi yeah yeah oh no oh, it's it's a rough movie to watch back but you can appreciate it it's it's, it's such luckily a, it's not very long and it's like um all of the like right at the beginning of the 1930s like talkies were just like in the last couple of years become a thing and it's like but movies are still like very much like plays not a lot of filmmakers had really figured out how to do it differently than that um and i was like certainly dracula is like very much like a play like it's just very yeah very well and it's it based off of a play the script is yeah. yeah the script is basically a, yeah i mean That's i think bella lugosi was the coverage of that play you know um, yeah, yeah um, the the staging and the blocking are just it's very like everything yeah. every, the camera always points the same direction they do they do a lot of close-ups on Bella Lugosi but it's like it's just the stage the blocking is very much like a play um, and it was so um, interesting to like watch these people and it's a pretty diverse like audience at Amor Cinema like they get they bring in lots of different people and cool. um but to, to watch them watch it was kind of crazy because like i knew all of these things right like i'm filtering through my my knowledge my encyclopedia in my head and i heard i wrote a field note of like one person saying something like well like all the action happens off camera and i'm like yeah that's because it's like a play that's what happens in shakespeare <laughs> you know? yep. um, like they were gonna be able to like do it on camera so they're cheap ways for you to like try you know and i was just like writing the notes just writing the notes of what i was hearing and yeah it was a really cool that's really fun i would be right. interested uh, i mean i would see that on the big screen but i would definitely be interested in seeing it with with an audience that is either that is not as familiar with it as i am um you know because like everybody's seen this movie you either watched it in school or it came on tv when you were awake at 3 a.m like you know so it's seen it before you, ever what yeah, no, I'd never okay. seen it. Well, that's and that's so that was my first but, time. Like, okay. I knew about it, you know, and I'm much more familiar. Like, I took an I, adaptation. I, I got all those old monster movies on DVD, you know. Like, I'm yeah. We, we, we talk about my love of monster movies at, on every episode. That's that's um. <laughs> so that's just me, but um. I knew the book, right? I took an adaptation right. I mean, class. And I knew the like, book. I knew the Coppola version, but um, I'd never seen the thirty one. So it was cool. Um. I I've been watching a lot of a lot of TV, um, Gen, Gen V on Amazon. Oh, did Dan lock up? Maybe. I'm gonna keep going. Uh, I think I'm back. No, okay. Yeah, oh, there yeah. you go. All good. Just um, in, internet is yeah, fun. and that's yeah. We record the show over the internet, and that's just how it goes. Um, yeah, it was a Gen V to spin off of the boys on Amazon. I'm really liking the Frasier reboot because I love Kelsey Grammer. 
Um, the Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix from Mike Flanagan is yeah. I, I'm not done with it yet, but it's I, I've I think I've seen six of them and it's nuts and I love it. Uh, yeah. Lessons in Chemistry on Apple TV with Brie Larson is uh, is very good. It's like uh, being a, an intelligent woman in the 1950s sucks. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, just, in fact, just today, uh, I got back a couple of hours ago, um, yesterday and today I was able to attend, um, the Rome International Film Festival in Rome, Georgia. They call it Riff. Um, was invited by a, uh, filmmaker friend who had a film screening. Her movie's called Nine Windows. So a fun little indie horror thing. Um, that was, it was the first film filmed at the, uh, the, at full, the full, the new, um, new vast. I'm going to finish some of these words, the new volume stage at, uh, full sail university in, in Orlando, they have a, um, not 360, but a, uh, you know, um, hemisphere, uh, video wall set. And it was the, that was the first film that they filmed there and it, it screened, uh, and it's, it's really fun. It's, uh, um, kind of a take on rear window. Um, the filmmaker's name is Lou Simone. She's done some other, uh, done some other films that are available. All of them are available on Tubi, I think. Um, we also, we got to see Ethan, a uh, new movie directed by Ethan Hawke called Wildcats about author Flannery O'Connor, uh, played by his daughter, uh, Maya Hawke, best known for Stranger Things. Um, Flannery O'Connor is an author in the deep South, uh, deals with a lot of religious stuff. Um, and she was, uh, in the film, she gets diagnosed with lupus, which is the disease that killed her father. There's some unfortunate, you know, dealings with, she has to learn how to deal with that. And her health is just gradually deteriorating as the film goes on. It doesn't, um, doesn't carry her out, carry it out to her death. When the, when the film's over, she's still fairly young. I think she's in her thirties. Um, but, uh, you know, struggling, she's a writer struggling, finds success doing that. And it intermixes uh adaptations of her short stories which all deal with you know there's always religious themes and the uh, uh it's it was it was weird i i liked it i wouldn't say it was a great film but it was definitely it's structurally very interesting um uh the cast is very good my hawk laura linney liam neeson has a small part in it uh and then after the movie there was a, a little q a with ethan hawk and tim blake nelson um who had a, he wasn't in this movie. He had another film screening today that I didn't get to see, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, so that was fun. And then today I saw a movie called Guacamole Yesterdays, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I was telling Katie about it a few minutes ago. It's like a, uh, a woman is in therapy because a relationship has just ended and it, you know, uses it as a, as a framing device to kind of look back at the history of their relationship, like very loving, but very complicated relationship between two artists. Um, and it's the, um, therapist has a, a technology that allows her to go back and adjust memories. You can change the way you perceive some of your memories. So it has a very light, um, sci-fi slant to it. Kind of like, uh, Kind of reminded me of like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in a way. Um, and no, it was visually very interesting. There's really great use of color and uh, they changed the aspect ratio depending on when in the timeline it takes place and whether or not it's a memory versus something that's 
actually happening in the present. And no, you have guacamole yesterday's. I it's not available anywhere right now. This was the premiere. Um, but it's you know some local filmmakers that I was able to meet today, and they're they were lovely people, and I just I was very very impressed. It's a fun little fun little indie movie that I think people should be looking out for. Um, anywho, moving on to stuff closer to the real topic. Um, I've got a fun little anecdote about uh, kind of my background with Scorsese films and how how Dan and I met. Um, I'm gonna tell a little story. We were we were in high school videography class when we met. It would have been fall 2006. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm not gonna say how many years ago that is. Uh, but but we're you know we're 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 getting there. Um, it was the the year The Departed came out in theaters. Um, well, you asked me if I was looking forward to it, and at the time, you know, before the movie came out, at I really wasn't. Um, you asked why, and like. At that time, I was not a fan of a lot of recent Scorsese films. Like, I still don't like The Aviator. Uh, it, it, mm -mm, it just doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work for me anyway. It doesn't work at all. Um, Gangs of New York has grown on me, but, like, I think it's really... A, it's some a handful of good performances and, like, otherwise uh, an overstuffed cacophony of a movie. Um, uh, I don't think I had seen Bringing Out the Dead at that point, but, like, it, um, it's fine. I think Casino's overrated. Like it just stands in the shadow of Goodfellas, which is deals with some of the same themes as and is a much better movie. Um, so like at the time, I hadn't really liked a, a Scorsese movie since Cape Fear and The Goodfellas. Um, and then that Friday night, I went to see The God uh, or The God. I went to see The Departed, uh, and it's one of my favorite movies at this point. I love The Departed, uh, and I you know I love a lot of those older uh, Scorsese movies. Uh, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, you know, like all the all the ones everybody knows. People know them because they're great. But there's just like there was a, certainly a stretch of Scorsese in the '90s that, uh, in the '90s and early 2000s, that like most of them are okay. They're they're I've, it was a a low point in his career, I think. But um, I love The Departed. I have some things to say about Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, both good and bad, um, and you know. There's also there's been ups and ups and downs since The Departed, but you like you can't I'm not going to argue that Scorsese isn't a legendary filmmaker. You know, it's like he's but one of one of the great American directors. That's absolutely the case. Even you know all of I would say all of them have some missteps or at least films that don't work for me personally along the way. But um, you know, so that's kind of where where I'm coming from going into Scorsese. Um, what about what about what about you, Dan? Tell me about your uh Scorsese life. Yeah, well I'm uh I'm a big I'm a big Scorsese fan. Uh so I'm I'm that person who honestly kind of likes them all, although I, I completely I completely agree with you. Like that mid that like aughts kind of stretch is 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 the one where the, those are interesting movies because it's like oh like the aviator like you're you're filming the 20s sections with this like two strip technicolor you know you're you're recreating old hollywood like like there's stuff like that that like speaks to me but like the as like a whole film they don't you know they're those are not those are not like quite at the same level as uh the films that sort of come before and after that I, I, yeah like the, um, the making it look like an old movie thing i was like hugo k that's that's yeah. 2010 2011 or something like that and i think he pulls off that part of it much better 
in Hugo than he did in The Aviator. Like trying to trying to, uh, yeah, to celebrate um, old cinema. Yeah, the best two films from that period, um, IMO, are Hugo, which I actually wrote about in my dissertation. Um, so I, that's one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but Shutter Island is the one that, like, from that period, just like that is a, a great movie. That's like doing all the old Hollywood kind of like you know love that all the other, those other films are kind of trying to do too. Um, and I I find that that one just holds up to rewatches so well because I should, I should um, check that out again. I've seen it a couple of times. I I remember liking uh, Mark Ruffalo very much. Um, yeah, he's really good. I at will. Uh, I, I, you know, I've already told a lot of stories, so I'm not going to waste too much time. But like the that was an, that was an interesting for me because I first saw that on a date that went poorly. Uh, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no, yeah, just yeah, uh, yeah some, some funny, funny personal anecdote with uh, Shutter Island. Like. I remember liking it and not loving it, but I do like very clearly remember Mark Ruffalo's performance stood out for me for sure. Yeah. Um, well, that's that one's fun. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm kind of of the opinion just um, just generally that he's uh, like the the sum is more than the parts with Scorsese. If you just and, kind of like step back. I would, and, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Like like I yeah, said, like there are yeah, like, all, all of these directors have have had movies that don't work like and that's um, that's you know, that's just that's that's how it goes. And that's par for the course for someone who's been in the business for 60 years like that's just, that's just yeah, simple, right. simple economics is what you know you're you're uh or just st st statistically you're bound to have a couple that 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 aren't aren't up to par and you deserve to have those because of the other ones are so great um what what, what well, about you Penny? you've been you've been holding your tongue here for a minute must admit i am not as familiar of these films, I have just never really been drawn to them at all. And I've been looking back through the, his directorial filmography here, and there's some things that stand out to me. Like, I really I liked The Wolf of Wall Street in 2013. Like, I like The Wolf of Wall Street a lot. Yep, fan of that. But then, you know, a couple years later, I tried to watch Silence, and I just couldn't. And I was excited for it based on the cast and the premise. And I just couldn't. I, I think silence is good. I, I think it has, it shares some issues that killers of the flower moon does, but well, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more in a bit. I also just couldn't with the Irishman. I, I'd never and finished I, the Irishman. I'm right there with you. Well, you know, I, I watched a good chunk of it, but I never got to the end. What I have seen of Hugo, I really liked. And I think that's like kind of like that's a very like on par statement with anybody that studies film. It's like I have a reference for this part, and I know I like that. <laughs> um, but as a whole, I haven't seen the whole of Hugo, but I want and need to. Um, Shutter Island is another one that I've always held in high regard. I've never spoiled it for myself, so I've actually never seen it, and it's what I want. I think it's on my list to see. I might watch that later because. <laughs> um, I, 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 in 2010, I was a freshman in high school, so I don't think I was allowed to go see it. Maybe not, or I wasn't into it. No, yeah, I, I was I in know. college and it was, it was before. <laughs> no. Uh, no, yeah. Um, so like. I, I can't so much like critique um, 
the filmmaking as a whole or the filmography or do a lot of that kind of like placement that I would normally be able to do. But what I can and have been thinking about in terms of Killers of the Flower Moon is the the situation of Martin Scorsese and this film's production um, in context with the narrative and the things that have been happening in the world and um, it's it's emphasis and missed opportunities and how Martin Scorsese's kind of been like, in my opinion, digging his own grave with fans, <laughs> um, but not so much I, as a filmmaker. Yeah, so there, hmm, there's there's some indulgence happening. Maybe a yeah. little bit. Of, I, I'm not going to use the word hubris, but I think it could be applied here. Um, yeah, yeah. Before. Uh, what one more one more note, Dan? I know you got to uh, you got to hang out with uh, with Marty <laughs> recently. You you're 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 old drinking buddies. You and you and old Marty. No, no, but you you went to an event that uh, that he spoke at, right? Yeah. So um, shout out to uh, my in laws uh, who are regular kind of like you know several years now. I've been going to the Montclair uh, Film Festival in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, it's basically, uh, it's, you know, Stephen Colbert and his wife, it's like, they're one of their ways they give back. So they like, you know, help kind of orchestrate this, this, um, film festival in New Jersey. And every year, uh, Colbert interviews, interviews somebody And this year. He, uh, you know, you know, he was going to interview Martin Scorsese. So my in-laws, um, were like, Dan, come on out. You should come see this. And I said, yeah, absolutely. This <laughs> Yeah, so it's great. I mean, that's what, um, that's what Stephen Colbert was teasing on his show last week. He was like, and I come oh, really? We're going to talk to this guy with, you know, out wherever, doing an interview with this, you know, Hollywood person. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that must have been what yeah. he was yeah, yeah, it's his, it's 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 like his uh, the thing that he claims he looks forward to it every year. So if he plugged it on his show, then that was actually true. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. I mean, they talked about uh, everything from the best New York pizza to uh, like, you know, just sort of like, what is your, you know, artistic, you know, project all about? You know, what have you been working on for 50 years? You know, if you could step back and kind of sort of like give us the big picture and it's. You know, it really kind of comes down to, you know, this is a, uh, you know, Scorsese grew up in a very, like, tight-knit Italian-American community in, you know, New York City in the 1940s and was deeply, deeply kind of enmeshed in, you know, two dark, you know, mystical spaces, church and movie theater. And for a lot of years, he wanted to go to the church and, and you know, sort of work out all of his complicated thoughts about hum humanity's, like, complicated, contradictory nature uh, through the church. But then he didn't really want to do that. And so he decided to do exactly that same thing through movies, you know. So it's, the, the faith and, like, sort of the guilt and, you know, sort of the Catholicness of it all was a big subject of their discussion because obviously Colbert is Catholic too so they could they could really connect on that so, so it was great it was really great to hear him I mean this is like arguably uh the greatest living filmmaker and just to kind of hear him sort of talk about you know his process kind of in real time and sort of what interests him was like really just you know 
just like, wow, you, it was easy to see how he gets such good performances from everybody because you're just kind of like, you know, you, he's talking and you're like, wow, yeah, I'm on board, Marty. Tell me more. You know, I can see it. But you, you can totally see how he like, he, how, you know, why people love working with him. So I, that was fun. I, I love to hear that. That's. Um... Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, any every interview he gives, honestly, it's like he is just. So, you know, that's, you know, he just, he just has that kind of like energy and the energy kind of comes through in his films, I think. Um, but I felt, I felt very proud of myself. Every movie he mentioned, I was like, oh, I've seen that. Nice. <laughs> mentioned like seven or eight movies. Yeah, like there are quite a few. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He threw out a few curveballs, but I, uh, I got those too. So I felt very proud of myself. That was what my, uh, my film education got me ability to uh follow marty's marty's conversation <laughs> and that's not an easy thing i'm I, no <laughs> and a lot of them are are difficult to find these days um so I'm, yeah right uh i'm gonna re kind of re redirect the conversation now specifically towards killers of the flower moon which is the real reason why we're here 25 minutes into the show <laughs> um uh, Killers of the Flower Moons, directed by Martin Scorsese from a screenplay by Scorsese and Eric Roth, had a budget of uh, around $200 million. Seems absurd. Seems like a, a lot. Um, and then as of uh, November 4th, 2023, it has earned $89.3 million since its release date on October 20th. Um, reminder that we're, uh, we're spoiler-free for the first segment. Um, Dan, you, you go first. What, uh, what, what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, so I saw it a couple of weeks ago. So my, um, I will, my memory's a little fuzzy at this point. So I'm going to speak kind of in generalities. Um, but my general, my general impression was that it was really, really great. Um, Scorsese definitely has, a very like he's he has very distinct periods where if you could like to carve up you know his body of work you can you can kind of say that early 2000s period was sort of like this okay he's kind of trying to still be a mainstream filmmaker you know in the hollywood system to a degree from you know gangs in new york and certainly the aviator on to about uh wolf of wall street shutter island um but like since about silence in 2016, it kind of feels like that those three movies like silence, the Irishman and now killers of the flower moon, you can almost sort of group off as like a, as like a very late, like it feels like Scorsese's late period. You know, it's like, it's very, you know, he's at a point where he's, he's getting older. He's in his, he's almost 81. Um, he only has a certain number of movies left, you know, or that he can kind of put together and he is seemingly just kind of burrowing down deep into like just just this these sort of like you know very catholic to go back to what i was saying a second ago these very like elemental questions about you know, what what keeps us going as people like what what do we need to believe in to 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 exist as people and like what kinds of good things and terrible things are we capable of uh, at the same time and killers of the flyer moon kind of was just you know a really captivating contribution to that um 
you know, series of films that he's been kind of putting together over the last few years. Um, of the three, I probably liked it the best. Um, Islands, I quite like. Three, I would, I would say I like this one. The yeah, the Irishman was like, honestly, the one that I liked probably the least. I mean, I liked all of them, but this one kind of, there was just something about, I mean, we'll get into the details more, but like just this one was not just kind of a movie about, you know, these individual characters um, and how they're, you know, their their individual kinds of sins and guilts, but it it, it had that. I mean, it's, it, it does. It did what all the best westerns do. It kind of connected that personal and sort of individual story to the larger kind of myths we tell ourselves about. You know how the West was won. You know, to quote the title of the famous 1962 film. I mean, it's like it was really, really exciting. Kind of see Scorsese sort of take you know what he's been working on with all of these like these these guilty, guilty guys doing terrible things, but also like being aware that they're doing terrible things and then connecting it to this larger kind of national myth. I mean, he sort of does that with the Irishman and some of the other gangster films, but but the Western is like almost so unique in how it's like directly about how, how, how the United States was made and how American identity was formed and all that. So, so yeah, I guess that's kind of where I land on the Irishman, just a really great expansive, you know, it's his heaven's gate, you know, big expansive, national kind of myth making, you know, or deconstructing kind of movie. I I I'm going to cut in before before I go Katie. Uh <laughs> you're you're muted by the way Katie. I don't know if that was, if that was on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um there I I I like this movie a lot. I found a lot to like in it. I did not love it. I um I think there there's structural issues. I think the I think the movie's grueling. You know, and it may be intentionally so, um, but like the this it's uh, twenty minutes longer than like Oppenheimer came, and I I use that as an example because it's a, a historical movie, three hours long, came out this year, relatively recent. Uh, it feels like it's two hours longer than Oppenheimer, uh, <laughs> um, and you know that's when I when I, when I say that like I. I like the movie a lot. I de- like I definitely think that it's um it's got got some pacing issues and even like if if you cut 1 second off every shot in this movie which I absolutely think there's room to do, it would have been under 3 hours and it wouldn't have changed any of the content. Um we you know, we sit with a lot of things for kind of a long time. I think that there are like the landscapes in this film are beautiful. Um and they're we sit on those landscapes or like for an outdoor scenes, the camera kind of snakes around and dances and you're, you, there's a lot of wonders in, in outdoor scenes that like are very pretty, but often like didn't seem super motivated. And that kind of thing just inflates the runtime. Um, and it's interesting in comparison to like, Indoor scenes are very basic coverage, shot, reverse shots. You know, you have a medium, a medium close on two actors and you cut back and forth. Um, and that's, you know, that's just kind of the way Marty does it. That's not, I'm not, that's, that's not a criticism. It's just, if it's, it's, it's very, very basic. And it's kind of in contrast to the outdoor stuff. Like I was talking about before the, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of long takes. Um, I do think there are incredible performances in this movie. I absolutely think that's like, this is an important story to tell and that it, this movie deserves to be seen. Um, we, we can, I know, I know Katie, uh, and has some thoughts on the, you know, the, the real world situation surrounding this movie, both in the past and in the modern day, you know, like in the, the, the film as a film versus the film as a, as history. Um, but no, like I, I liked it a lot. I think it has some issues. I think the production design is incredible. I think that, that the, um, performances are incredible, particularly Lily Gladstone, uh, was a real standout for me. Um, Jesse Plemons does a lot while saying very little in this movie. Um, I know there's some, I I'm curious what you guys uh, both think of Brendan Fraser's performance because it is, he's not in the movie very much, but he is, he's very big. Uh, he's, he's a very, very boastful. Um, and I, it, I thought that was kind of fun. You know, um, I thought it was appropriate for what was, what they were going for in like the latter, the latter parts of this movie. Um, I ultimately, like, I don't know if it's um, up there in my favorite Scorsese movies, but I do think it's very good. It's thematically complex. Um, I I just think I think it's got some problems structurally. There are questions I would like to raise as to who 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 should have made this movie. Was he the best choice? I don't think he did a bad job. I think maybe maybe there are others who could have um, it. Then again, you know, like it would it would be different if it was made by a different uh, by another filmmaker. That may be good. That may be bad. You know, there's just questions that I'd like to feel to you guys uh, regarding those thoughts. But yeah, this good, good, not great. Like it's definitely an experience. Like it's a hard watch. There are like it's a difficult film to get through, as a lot of Scorsese films are. Um, it's not, you know, like I. I was talking about how much I love The Departed. It's because the The Departed is is a really fun movie. Like, uh, the, in in addition to all the all the it, um, intricacies and uh, the thematic material and um, you know, it's Scorsese at its best, but it's also like it's just a really fun watch. And this is not that. Again, I wouldn't say that's a criticism. I'm just pointing out differences between. Um, uh, some between some of his movies, um, and that's kind of you know that's kind of where where I stand on it. I have I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, some some good, no, some not so good. It's an important story that needs to be told. I think that there are the you know the reality of how Hollywood works. If this were given to a lesser filmmaker, it would be a it would be a less epic film for sure take it or you know whatever whatever that could mean for you know because i'm picturing a film that that will that is not and will not be made and comparing it to killers of the flower moon as we got from martin scorsese so you know so that's always a speculative difficult thing to do but like it wouldn't for example if it was given to a native american filmmaker there's no way that they would have given it would have had a 200 million dollar budget you know so there would be concessions made on the scale of the film for certain you know and that is the reality and economics of of filmmaking is the 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 reason that this budget is or i mean that this film had such a large budget and is so epic and sweeping as it is is because it's uh it's directed by Martin Scorsese and it has Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Robert De Niro on the poster 
you know, and that 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 brings that brings you the budget. Um, again, like I I will I've you know I've I've said it a couple of times now, but I I like the movie. I definitely have some thoughts that we'll we'll break down in more detail. But uh, Katie, let's 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 hear it. I know you're 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 somewhere somewhere uh, closer to me. I feel maybe worse. Oh, much worse. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts, and I am very happy to have them contradicted. And would like um, anything that I don't touch on that we've kind of already brought up in conversation to be brought back up too, because I just, this isn't a movie that I'm going to be seeing again. I just really didn't vibe with it. And having, I will, I will back you up on the point to say that while there is a lot that I do like about this movie, I probably agree with you. Like it's going to take a lot for me to sit down and watch this again for a lot of reasons. Um, partly because of the subject matter, it's, it's heavy and intense and it's, it's, it's a rough, it's a rough watch that way. But there's also, again, you know, I think there are some, some issues with the execution, um, that aren't egregious, but are absolutely there. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I'm going to end up, I think probably kind of backtracking on some of the points that were brought up because I Please um, contradict me. Yeah, I don't think this movie needed a $200 million budget. And I do not think that what the final product is reflects a $200 million budget. I don't think I like I was surprised when I saw the budget number. Um, I don't even so. Okay, like if we cut it in half, if it were given to it, like if it were given to a lesser filmmaker, you're it's not going to be $100 million. It's going to be 25. Like even like what is a lesser filmmaker? Like if Martin Scorsese really wanted to tell this story and tell the Native American part of the story, which is not actually the main focus of this story, he could yeah, have I want to talk about that for sure. Go on. He could have co-produced it or co-directed it with somebody who could tell effectively tell that story. But at the end of the day, this is not a story about the Osage, it's a gangster story about these two men or all these men in the and then the other people, including the Osage, are affected by that world in horrendous ways. So I, I don't, I don't agree. I don't, you know, I'm seeing like so much of the marketing and the interview and the conversation around this film being about like it's about the Osage because they rewrote this the screenplay from being about the formation of the FBI. This still not a movie about the Osage. About and, and that, that is, to the Osage. I will, I will agree. I will agree with that. And I will, um. I, I like you mentioned the FBI I think it's the the novel apparently person who hasn't read the novel but has read a lot about the film and the making of the film um the novel kind of focuses specifically on the FBI investigation of this which comes in in like the latter half um mm-hmm. so you know so there's a lot of additional research and additional material that is drawn from for the first chunk of the movie for sure yeah. um oh, for sure it's, it's all about the the what brought the FBI there, right? Right. So, I mean, but that doesn't, that shouldn't be applauded. That's like just choosing the story you want to tell, like what's going to work oh, best. Oh, no, yeah. That, I'm just, just making observations, not. No, no, uh, I'm not. I, yeah. I'm responding to the, the rhetorical sure. happenings in the world. Like, um, and so I just, and this, there was an original version of the screenplay for whatever movie Martin Scorsese was going to make about this topic. 
which was just, it was adapted from, from the source book material, right? And so that's what it was. And then apparently Leonardo DiCaprio said something like, well, let's like rework the story, make it more interesting. We don't need to make an FBI story about this. And so then they come up with a story about men exploiting the Osage, right? And while I appreciate and applaud the efforts that went into incorporating accurate cultural representation into this film, that doesn't mean that it's about these people. You know, it's not about what happened to them. It's about what happened to them. So, you know, I just, I have, um, I appreciate the knowledge about his intentions completing like exploration of humanness and what it means to be human and life and death, like either through the church or through cinema. Like that's amazing. That's, and I can like and respect that and appreciate that in this film all day long. But I don't think a personal exploration of the meaning of life through cinema also predicates an obsession almost like egotistic i don't want to use the word but i kind of do like insertion of the self into narrative and um without giving anything away martin scorsese does that in really big ways that i don't think needed to be in the story and those the the connotations of how and why he does this are evocative of an agenda which is not about serving a cultural message or spreading historical information or a cause or support of um, a minority group or an indigenous group or you know whatever through cinema. The things that he ends up doing are in service to him in the film, which pander to a specific audience, i.e. the academy, through representations of cinematic history, and then he presents himself as like a Wellesian figure. Um, You're, we'll, we'll talk about exactly what that means in a little bit. I, there, so there, basically, it's like a the, film about filmmaking and not about. Um, and it's, I will um, rebut a little bit, like the, the, the themes that like we're talking about, like there's a, a a, a very important um part of this movie i think is about like the uh the very first scene is the um i'm going to go ahead because i want to i want to talk about things in detail so uh here here on we, you you've heard our uh you've heard all of our kind of general thoughts um but it's going to be more difficult to break down some of this other stuff without without spoiling stuff so if you uh have not seen the movie uh i recommend you um well hmm i do recommend you see this i don't know that i recommend it's worth uh a a big screen watch uh maybe maybe one of my other panelists will disagree with that um like i think it's an important story um but yeah just so everybody knows here on out full spoilers we're going to talk about the plot we're going to talk about the ending um so if you haven't seen the movie and want to uh i recommend you do that before you listen to the rest of the podcast um there is like the first scene in the movie um the, there is a group of uh, Osage kind of mourning the fact that their children are they're going to have to speak English and their they're going to their culture is going to get blended with 
um, with the white people and they're, it's going to be diluted. Um, and then, you know, that ultimately that leads into the striking oil, that kind of thing. And then it comes back around near the end, like, oh, you know, like we have we have grown up and yes, we have to live with with the white people, but you know, we're still able to celebrate our own culture. You know, all of that stuff is in there. And I think it's very important that it's in there. I would say uh, that that it is diluted and it is not as it is not as large a focus as it should be. Um, I think, you know, I think it's, again, it's in the film. I think it's important that it's in the film because it's a big, it's a big part of the story, but it is, I, I think those messages are kind of diluted in favor of some of these other things that you're talking about. So I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Um, no, it's just there. Uh, Dan said it like, there's a lot of information here. Um, and it is you know, some of it is in service of the Osage story. A lot of uh, I would say a lot of it is in service of the of the story with um, Leonardo Di character Di Leonardo DiCaprio's character. His name's Ernest, um, and his uncle played by uh, Robert De Niro. Um, but it's a it's a very it's a very complicated movie. Um, in, I, um, yeah, please. We're, we've been talking. Yeah, yeah please. Say, uh, yeah. No, my thought. Is, I mean, this is we're we're kind of getting at you know in some ways the essential sort of crux of of not just like just like Scorsese's you know filmmaking, which is so wedded to the perspectives and the points of view of his characters. So many in so many films. I mean, that's kind of his his uniqueness as a director is that he does films which are kind of pulled from the point of view of the participants kind of better than anybody outside of like Hitchcock maybe. Um, and so that perspective and whose story is being told is, you know, in some ways the central sort of choice that had to be made artistically, because as y'all are pointing out, the book is this narrative from the point of view of the FBI. So you have white FBI guys coming into Oklahoma solving a crime. That's the point of view of the and, book. And the point of view of the film is a or is or is largely at least from the point of view of a different set of white people, but not the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. So how that happened, um, as y'all are pointing out, you know, the they're they're trying to sort of write the story as the book is kind of telling it and they're realizing this is just not going to work cinematically and they're sort of trying to find a new angle onto the story and the angle they settle on is this one of these guys who is kind of part of this larger conspiracy to marry the Osage women and then slowly kind of poison them and then take their money was by all accounts according to the people who he's talking to like deeply deeply in love with you know this woman that he's slowly killing and that kind of became like, let's examine what his experience is, you know, as that's happening. And let's like kind of use that as a metaphor for what America, white America kind of did to the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. So obviously, like there is another movie that can be made kind of specifically from the point of view of the Native Americans. But I mean, I this is just kind of where I guess just me as a viewer I kind of am like, yeah, I would love to see that movie, but I don't really see it as an either or. I feel like, you know, the story of like 
white America destroying Native America. I mean, like that's that's also that's a story that is really like you're not going to understand how we got here if you're not kind of understanding like the complicated sort of dark darkness, you know, yeah. in in the psychology of those men. So I'm kind of a little bit like, you know, why? Like, yeah, I mean, Scorsese has is going to be able to make a specific kind of movie, but I, I, I kind of think that there's also room to be sort of argued that, like, you know, if 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 you if he's not Native American, I mean, is he really the best person to be making that story from a Native American point of view? And it's like, no, probably not. If a Native American filmmaker is not going to be able to assemble Robert De Niro and all these actors, and, and that's what that's what I was trying to say in in the first part. Like on that, yeah. point, I I absolutely agree. Like there, it's um so you know so it's there is no good answer to this. Um, but but let's, I, no, but let's talk about okay. No, let's let's talk let's talk about like the. The, the effect on the audience, because as as Katie, you're pointing out, you know, like a lot of the people who are going to see this movie are like the film festival crowd, like the Academy. You know, I saw, you know, the people who were at the, the Scorsese talk with Stephen Colbert were largely older white people. You know, they were in New Jersey. You know, it's like like this is definitely like the 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 mass audience this is there is a pretty wide audience for this film but it's also kind of like segmented more towards the kinds of people who go to art films or sort of who are in culturally prestigious positions in society yeah. and then the question kind of becomes like for that audience what are you trying to do and if you're trying to like get that audience to sort of see, you know, like, yeah, you know, these bad things were done to the Native Americans. And that's, that's I mean, that's that's certainly a path you can take. But you can also get that audience to really kind of examine its own complicity in that process. And that's something that I think you can kind of get from that point of view that you don't necessarily get from telling the story from another point of view. It's like you don't really get to and, and that, that you know makes what I mean? a lot of sense. Like, and it's and who is the movie made for? I'll, I'll let you go in a second, Katie. I promise. Uh, who is the movie made for? Like, is always an important question. Uh, and and if it would, if it were made for the Osage people, like it would be very, it would obviously be very different than it is. Um, you know, and that is, and it's 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 definitely made for the festival crowd, but at a budget of, with with that many zeros, like it's also it has to be to a degree mainstream or it was funded with the intention or anticipation that there would be a mainstream audience uh angle like approach to it um and whether or not that's creatively bereft i'm not making that judgment i'm just saying like the the when i saw the budget for this film it raised a lot of questions for me personally and it's you know there should the story be told by another filmmaker potentially if huh you 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 don't get the name talent and you don't get the money that you had to make the movie this way if that were the case. Go ahead, Katie, please, please. There's just so much to unpack because, like, yes. There is. At, at, no, absolutely I mean, is. is it important to have stories and representations where complicit white people confront that complicity? Yes. But making a movie for a specific audience doesn't have to be that. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know what I mean? Like they could make this movie and not, you know, 
promote it as something that's so representative of a people. I, the, the promotion not is absolutely the a problem. Film, the way the movie is promoted is absolutely a problem. The film is not made by Native Americans. Like, it's just not. And so when they bring that perspective into this thing about, like, we've done so much for the representation of Native Americans, I'm like, in one way you maybe have, but in one way you haven't. The representation problem in Hollywood is not necessarily about the story. It's about the structure. It's about who is making these films. So if somebody like Martin Scorsese wants to explore what it means to be alive and what it means to be a human in, in cinema and have, have things like a budget, a healthy budget, and amazing people to put on the bill. He, he can still do that and not solely direct it and insert himself into this issue. He doesn't have to do that. And we could still have the same film or something. Well, then doesn't the film just not get made in that scenario? Like, you know, like if he's not making, you know, if he's making another movie, I mean, who else is making this movie? Um, and that's part of the, it's, it's so difficult to, to speculate about all this. Like that's the, because we're, yeah. we're we're talking about about movies that that did not get made in in right. framing them around this one that we have. So you know, and that's you. There's no like, it's no. It's a it's a complicated question that I don't have an answer for, and that's why I that's why I brought that's you guys. That's why the on representation question is so hard to answer because we could go back and forth on this all day. And I'm like, yeah, well, then it would be a different movie because I just also don't think this movie needed to be made. Not like this. Well, it's sort of the larger, it's a larger problem that the Western has never, you know, it's it's sort of, you know, he's inherited a um a thorny issue from the genre in which he's chosen to work. I mean, he, he this is like what, movie number 27, and it's his first Western. And the thing about the Western is the Western is, you know, as a genre, it's a bunch of stories about cowboys going out west and winning winning conquering the landscape and so on and so forth and you know we had a bunch of john wayne john ford films that kind of construct that myth and we had sam peckinpah and clint eastwood deconstructing it and kevin costner and so on and yet at the end of the day i mean you know there's still sort of like this this core set of elements from the western and you often are still kind of dealing with stories about white guys going west and it's that's you know, the question that someone asked me a few years ago when i was at iowa was was really powerful because uh we were sort of someone i one of my colleagues and i were talking about westerns and the question that got posed was is it possible to make a western from the point of view of the native american or in the process of restructuring the story around the Native American, you lose so many of the themes of that, that we associate with the Western. You keep the setting, obviously, it's the West still, but like you lose so many of the themes of like nature and civilization and you know the wilderness and blah blah blah. That are you functionally you're not even a Western anymore. And so in, in making a Western, I mean, Scorsese has kind of inherited that problem. You see it in Dance with the Wolves. I mean, that's sort of like the archetypal example. Like, we're going to make a, you know, a, a Western that is, yeah, and it ends up being like Kevin Costner goes and lives with the natives, you know. Um, you know, in some ways, that's that's what Scorsese has kind of inherited, you know. Um, and it's it's 
you know, maybe it speaks to, um, you know, again, the, the Western has a point of view and its point of view is maybe just, you know, got some hard kind of borders around it, you know, I and it's, it's only capable of sort of seeing the Native American from the point of view of, of whiteness. But I mean, I don't know. That's is that like there's all those issues, right? Like all of it. And then if I left everything else behind and I'm just like, OK, like, yeah, like. I'm, like let's just take this movie as it is and i'm not going to raise everything i just raised on on top of that like just like having that as it is and letting that be a representative story in itself cool the real problem that i have is the framing of this film around that specific white academy audience because of one the way that it references like the early um like from the 20s with like the inner titles and the, the the talkie cards like in the beginning and they make it look like an old film so right when you walk into this movie like all the cinephiles and people are going to be like oh my god virgins of cinema like like just over the movie right maybe but that thought is already evoked and then when we get to the end we go through this whole drama right this this whole narrative and then we get to, it's been a radio show the whole time? <laughs> there, I was going to say, like, oh, well, I, I wasn't. Hmm. I think it, this, a, a, some kind of framing device could have helped this movie, uh, at least, like, from a, from a structural and pace point of view. The, the, the radio show is an interesting choice, but, like, the way it's incorporated here, it feels like a swing as opposed to, like, something that was really intentional. And then, with with Marty showing up himself, like that's just like cringe inducing. That's a huge problem. Oh um, no, that's the best part, man. That's the best part. Is it? He, the know. artist has the last word in his own film, the, uh, and the, the he artist always has the last word. That's the he doesn't yeah, have to like, show his face for that to happen. <laughs> word is no, about Molly's story. So why does he get the last word in this Native American story that he's trying to tell? Like that's where I have the issue. And and it's and even if we say, okay, fine, he's the artist and he's the one delivering this, and we just leave that issue aside. I have a problem with himself framing him like an Orson Welles and 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 inserting himself into this so obviously as kind of like a spokesperson for a historical tradition of cinema that is obviously on the brink of change. Is he inserting himself into it or is he reflecting on the fact that as the person, you know, making all of these stories, he inevitably is kind of already in the story, you know? Because I, I didn't read it as him inserting himself. I read it much more self-reflexively as an effort to... Kind of acknowledge that as a older white guy from New York, he is only going to be able to ever get so close. You know, there's a similar kind of artistic move. I don't know if anyone's read Sophie's Choice, the William Styron book. Um, really, really great. Really great book. Really great movie. But the book is really fascinating because Styron is a, you know, it's a white guy from Virginia and he's trying to write a Holocaust story without you know, getting into the thorniness of like, well, I'm, I wasn't there and I'm not Jewish and I'm not even European. So what, what can I say about this, this tragedy? 
Um, and so he kind of builds, you know, this complicated kind of framing story where, you know, and it's similar to what Scorsese is doing. It's like kind of allows you to be like, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this really important thing that like we need to hear about and we need to sit with and we need to talk about. But I know that like my point of view is only going to take me so far. And if that's the case, like, what am I going to do about that? You can either like try really, really hard to like overcome that, that distance between me and my subject, but I'm never going to get all the way there. And it's always going to feel kind of fake. So what's, what, what can I do? I can reflect on the fact that my point of view is rooted in a very specific spot and hope that maybe that point of view speaks to uh, the point of view of a larger audience and sort of helps break down some of those barriers. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like film itself. Like that's yeah. what he's doing, like in making a film, right? Yeah. So he doesn't right. have to come out and literally show himself on screen. He it's, just it's, literally it's inserting film like, cells of himself. Well, Dan, you'll, you'll know better than me, but like I know he's been in his movies before. Um, it's 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 few yeah, in between, but it it has happened before. But it's like. This one, he's in, like, honestly, more and more he shows up as cameos, um, and they're very like cameos a lot of the time. Um, th this one, um, like, it's all it's like a hmm, it's it's indulgent almost. Like, it it stuck out to me in a way that, like, when Tarantino shows up in his movies, like, and it's always like always in a way that's very obvious and like just very calling attention to himself in like a very intense way as opposed to like the Alfred Hitchcock cameo yeah. where he's just a guy like he's always just a guy on the street or something like that where he's always in there um but if you you know you you blink and you'll miss him but it's i don't know it's just very i was yeah i, I mean i, I have I'm a surprise he did it i was surprised at like how front and center it is and it just kind of didn't really work yeah. for me <laughs> uh Honestly, I mean, here's, I don't want to get morbid, but I mean, this is like every movie he makes nowadays could be his last film. That's absolutely, you know, true. he's we're dealing very, with that, you know, like we, yeah. Clint Eastwood is, is still making movies, but he's even older. Um, uh, yeah. Steven Spielberg's in his mid seventies, you know, like they're keep making movies as, right. long, as, so, as I mean, long as you can, but that's, that's the reality of humanity. Yeah, I mean, that's and I think you have to kind of read again. Some of this is just like this is, you know, an artist at the end of his career, really kind of getting self-reflective about, you know, his position in this larger kind of artistic trajectory. And, you know, in the context of this particular story where point of view is so critical to, you know, what the film is kind of about, I mean, it just seems totally appropriate or the director to sort of show up at the end and just kind of, I mean, it's just, that's a, it's like a, you know, like that's what Godard did. That's what, you know, so many, like Hitchcock was doing it throughout his career. I mean, it's kind of a signature, you know, it's him, it's him signing off quite literally. And um, a very old senses. Hollywood style then, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I would yeah. put, you know, even like the Godard example is like, you know, in line with the new Hollywood, which is now also outdated. Right. So like I that all makes sense. But in the context of and like I said, I'm coming at it from not like the film itself. I'm coming from this very like more cultural studies. Like what is what is this saying outside of the film itself? What is this saying outside of Scorsese himself? I mean, and that's uh, I don't think those so, two things are unrelated, um, but, you know, like because you can't 
I do, I don't think you can you can really examine this film without without it you know it's unpacking a little bit of the cultural implication, but you know also mm-hmm. it doesn't. So I ask things that aren't you know, in the film aren't in the film, but you know if we're having this conversation, there are parts there are things to do with the film that aren't in the film that must be discussed. So if he wants to have an impact or like put his mark on his film as like you know like an end of my career thing or you know like reflection that reflection could be done in ushering in a partnership of creative filmmaking with somebody from this community like i there's just so many other ways to make that happen that aren't necessarily in like what gets put into the film itself because what he what gets put into the film itself is him literally stepping out onto a stage and reading the life story of a female it's, it's, Native American character. Uh, to, to add some, just some very, very basic context, it's like it's like what, what you would have at the end of a movie where you just have a cue card that says, um, you know, Molly married again and died at the age of 50, you know, like the specifics about each character where you come up with maybe a photo or just some text. But instead of doing that, they he's uh Martin Scorsese and leading up to that some other folks you know they stand on a podium read a script into a mic as if it were a radio show um like if it were it could have been an Osage individual who read the same thing you know and then I don't know like you 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 then you you lose the you know the kind of point of view that Dan was saying um and then you would obviously you know but it's a lot less Wellesian um <laughs> It's I don't know. It's, like it's, it's a complicated oh, yeah. it's a complicated idea, and it was definitely a choice, and it's a a choice that has been talked about. Uh, there's a lot of discourse around it, and it's um, certainly not the only thing. There's discourse around. That's what there's there's so much to unpack with this movie, and we're we just we like you could have had Millie Gladstone it, read it as an actor in this thing, right? And have the same movie. Everything else stays the same, but that one moment changes the resonance. I don't, the I don't know if it could be Lily Gladstone because the implication is that this is still diegetic. So it's like you're then you're you're adding you're adding additional context to Lily Gladstone's life and she wouldn't have walked into a to a white man's radio show to talk about herself into a microphone uh, after after the things that have happened to her. I don't I don't believe that. that's so, where the, I mean I, I get it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So like, it like, could, like I would I should I think it should be an Osage individual. I don't know that it should be Molly either. Um I do want to talk about Lily Gladstone um, because she is my favorite performance in this movie. And I wish we got more of it, even considering that it's, it's well over three hours, but you know, and that's, that has a lot to do with, you know, she's out of commission a great deal of the film because they start to poison her uh, about halfway through. Um, But you know, she does, uh, she does quite a bit with very little. um, And she, you know, she's, she's fun and she's funny and she's got, she's, She's got a little smirk and there's always some extra context inside that little smirk. It's not, you know, like she's not always being flirtatious. She's a very smart uh, person that is, you know, she's, there's, there, there's always wheel tur- wheels turning in a very subtle way. And it's like, I absolutely adored her. And there, ugh. if without Lily Gladstone, like this movie doesn't work. It's that it's, her her performance, um, even though like it is 
limited compared to the runtime like it's that crucial to the whole thing and if there's if there's anything about the movie that works it is lily gladstone and the other things related to lily gladstone's character um shine all the more because she because she is in here um i i i think it's it was an interesting uh it's an interesting unusual role for leonardo dicaprio like he is almost always like a very intelligent well-spoken character uh with the exception of say like Django Unchained, where he pretends to be, he pre- he's pretending to be that, and he's as actually just a racist idiot. But the like, no, in this one, he's he's like almost he's almost a simpleton, um, and I don't mean that in an in an offensive way, but he's a very, very down to earth, not well educated, just came back from the war, saw you know he he didn't really see combat. He was a cook, I think he's what he says. Um, but you know, it's a very different role for DiCaprio, which I think is, that's certainly worth bringing up. Um, because, you know, I, I think he does a good job. I think um, if there, if there's anyone in the main cast that I would probably recast, it would probably be Leo. Um, I, I enjoyed Robert De Niro as the, 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 the old guy who's orchestrating all of this, you know, and that's a, it's a very that was a, is a very Scorsese kind of role, and Robert De Niro does um, does a great job with it. Um, I I do like I said I do kind of think Leo's miscast here. It's a little bit a little bit different than his normal thing, and I don't think he f- I don't think it fits like a glove. Um, and maybe and maybe you guys disagree. If please interrupt me at any point. Um, but no, like like I said, the uh, the crux of this movie is Lily Gladstone, and I don't think it works at all without her. Um, I yeah, it's her it's her movie in a lot of ways. I mean, she's like the center. It's not told from her point of view, except very briefly through a couple of shots. She's the emotional but, core of the movie. Like when when something terrible happens, yeah. it's Lily, uh, Lily Gladstone's character that tells us like visually, emotionally how bad it actually is. Um, and that is right. until yeah. until you know, like they begin to poison her. Through um, a number of adding adding some context just for listeners, a number of the Osage are diabetic, um, and this is very early on in diabetic treatment. They you know like uh, they have discovered that you can be given insulin, and in this case, it's insulin uh, sourced from from other animals. But then they the uh, Robert De Niro uh, forces uh, Ernest to begin poison like put mixing something bad with her insulin so she's very ill for a big chunk of the movie and like that's a loss you definitely feel um because the you know the i would say the first 80 minutes or so of this movie are very very good and i was all in until you know you know as until we approach the second half and then there's it definitely has its moments after that but there's the you definitely feel the loss of lily gladstone's character uh, and it's again, it's not because she's dead. It's because she's out of commission for large portions of the movie because she's being poisoned. Um, mm-hmm. And but even so, if she's the mo- emotional heart, if she's the emotional heart of the story, please. Um, I would call her the story, right? Her, I would call her character Molly the story, and Ernest Molly. the plot. Ernest is the plot. He's the one that like drives it forward. He's the one that kind of is doing the things right yeah and Ernest is, is absolutely guilty here you know like you were um 
I, I don't want to skirt around the fact that no, it is uh Ernest who is at the at the 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 order of his uncle, but Ernest, played by Leo, is absolutely committing these crimes. He is murdering people, he is poisoning his wife. Like they're do you, do you guys think that he actually loves Molly? Because, like, I think that he does, but I think that he's a, hmm. I'm not going to say that he's not in the wrong. Like, he's doing absolutely unspeakable things. Um, but, you know, I, I, there's some conversation and implication that there, some white folks are marrying uh, the Osage with the intention of taking advantage of them or murdering them. And I think that was his uncle's plan all along. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Leo was a hundred percent in until he was like, I think the interactions he has with Molly are genuine early in the film. And then it, it, it gets, it gets worse from there and you can't defend Leo's character. He does unspeakable things to this woman, but it is like, I think there was for a time, some, at least the way it's shown in the film, I don't know. I'm not taking, speaking to, to historical facts, but the way it's this portrayed in the film, like I am willing to believe he had legitimate feelings for her. Um, noting the fact that there, you know, he, he murders her immediate family and he poisons her and it, you know, you can't, you can't unlink those two things. I think from looking at the film structurally, the first thing that we kind of figure out before he marries her that he's very emphatic about is how much he loves me. That's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. And so that predicates his relationship and how it evolves with Molly. So Ernest, um, first and foremost, if if he loves her, first and foremost, he thinks he loves money. Okay. Yeah, you know, and again, like he's he's absolutely a shitty person and I'm not <laughs> I don't mean to say anything to the to the contrary. You know, the thing that's really, um, what I really admired about the movie and kind of, uh, compensated for, you know, things I might have quibbled about, um, is just the way that it is, you know, you do for the entire community, you know, not just Ernest, but also like Robert De Niro's character, the, you know, King, you know, um, and the other, you know, various minor characters who are marrying um, these Osage women. I mean, the one of the things you get from that expansive runtime is you just get a lot of time to sit with these characters kind of in these spaces. And it's really, really some of the most fascinating moments in the movie are just these moments where like you see these, you know, like a white guy and a Native American guy out on the road and they're they're drinking and they're just, you know, they're just shooting, shooting, you know, just talking, talking shop. And then, you know, the white guy pulls out a gun, shoots, shoots the Native American guy because that's part of the plan, you know, but before that they're drinking, you know, they're hanging, they're talking. It's like, you're seeing this, this incredible contradiction just play out over and over again throughout the film between on the one hand, you know, they're spending a lot of time and they're living with these people and they are they're learning their language. I mean, Robert De Niro speaks so many of his lines of dialogue kind of in the Osage language. I mean, it's a long the, time. Osage in, language, in general, yeah. they believe that he's on their side and they respect him. And, you know, like they're he's 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 wealthy and he's a white man. But, you know, he is 
he has created a persona for himself that is that the Osage are able to trust until until the secrets start to come out. Well, you see kind of this is what's really one of the other things really fascinating. You kind of see them sort of rationalize it. You know, you sort of see them being like, like, we love these people and that's why we have to kill them, you know, or that's why we have to like let, you know, sort of nature take its course or help nature along. It's like there you you really kind of get a, you know, through sort of the psychology of these really complicated characters who, on the one hand, care about these people, connect with them on some basic level, but also are killing them for their money. I mean, you're you're through kind of seeing that psychology, you get a really close up look at the ideology that guided so much of like our conquest of the frontier over centuries. Like millions and millions and millions of people, you know, who moved west told themselves these stories about the Native Americans that they were confronting. We admire them. We love their connection to the land, but their time has come and we will do our best to ensure that they shuffle off this mortal coil in the most graceful way possible. Like that, you do not get like what happened in the United States without a lot of people thinking like that. So that's, that's sort of what I feel like. I guess that's my answer to the, uh, the earnest. Does he love her? It's like, yes, he absolutely loves her. And that's why he allows himself to be kind of suckered in by Robert De Niro's like, no, we have to. And, and that's he, what, like, I think he, he, he loves money. He loves women. He makes that very clear. But like, I, I, I like this way you say that he's suckered in. Like, I don't, I, Ernest, he, he may have, he, he may have met Molly or some other Osage woman and married and been happy, but without his uncle, like his uncle is, uh, the, they call him the king. You mentioned that like the, he's absolutely taking advantage of Ernest as much as he's taking advantage of everybody else. It's just like er, Ernest is just complicit to it. Um, Ernest is like is almost Ernest is aware of it, which like almost makes it worse, like or does make it worse. Um, well, and you and you see, it's what's fascinating too. Is you see, like you know, like he then you know is in he's being enlisted in this plot, but he's also enlisting other people in this plot. And there's that one guy, I forget his name, but he's basically just like you got to go do it. Uh, you know, you got to go, do, you know, make it happen. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, I mean, there's a lot of um, emphasis, too, in those scenes on just, like, you know, get really drunk, like, get him really drunk, you know, like, like, you just get out there and, and, and make it happen. And it's just, like, it's, it's, you know, this, we see this complicated web being kind of woven, you know, where, anyway, but yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big web of, of a network of, of, you know, people who've kind of rationalized that what they're doing is, you know, good for them, but also good for the people that they're killing, you know, like that's, that's, that's the rationalization and, you I get mean, to kind of watch. Like this is, and like, it's an American frontier story and you're absolutely right. Like they're the, I, I like, I appreciate the way that you explain, um, Americans spreading out West and like if eradicating or forcing natives to evacuate, you know, and they think that they're doing the right thing in doing that because they found some way to rationalize it or they're, or they're greedy or they're, you know, what have you like this um, or all of the above, you know, like, so that's, and that's absolutely what's happening here. Um, the it's a very complicated and um, what was the word that you used earlier, Brandon, about like the, the relationships in the movie? It's, 
so thematic. The the connections between these characters and what the movie is actually about. That's all so complex, right? And I think it mirrors the complexity that of how this film is situated, like outside of itself, right? And the extra diegesis of like the real world implications of how this film got made, could have been made, could have, should have, wouldn't, right? And I think that's that's indicative of like the Hollywood uh, state right now, just the state of things, the state of Hollywood structurally as as an industry and audiences and mass shifts and audience appeal and audience even going to the box office and Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. Like all of it is so and the Oscars themselves have been struggling for years, right? And so like even like trying to keep a hold into like an old academy with a new academy. It's so complicated, right? And so I think like if we're talking like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like this this could be a movie that we point and say, this is really indicative of like a vast, complicated network of issues and topics and people and predicaments and uh, of 2023, right? I can tell you, I'm going to miss uh, Marty when when he's not making movies anymore. Because I kind of think that me too. When 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 that generation is gone, I mean, I just don't know who else is going to be making big 200 minute, you know, movies that are trying to use turn an individual like episode in history into a larger metaphor for things. I I I will be sad when he's gone. You know, it's just like. It's just uh it's sort of the end of an era, you know, movies like this. They're they're really they really are it really is kind of a throwback in a lot of ways. What are you gonna let say? Me, let me ask you then, because like how did you just describe this movie as like a cinematic look at a one event and like having it be like thematic or speak to something larger than itself? Yeah, I mean he um is using the story of Ernest and Molly and Ernest's own kind of contradictory sort of relationship with Molly, where on the one hand, he loves her deeply. On the other hand, he's killing her for his money. That is, you know, the meta- that is the metaphor for what, you know, white America did to the West. You know, that's that's the that's his kind of contribution to the 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 body of Westerns that are kind of breaking down the myth of the frontier and kind of critically sort of exploring why it was that we we went out that way and did all those things and built the nation that we built and, you know, and, and moved. I do, I do want to mention, oh. you know, uh, Westerns are a quintessential piece of American cinema, but, like, how many of those Westerns just portray uh, cowboys, white people, unceremoniously killing natives and, like, and celebrating it? Right. And, and, and that is not what this movie is doing. And I want to make that clear. It's making a statement against that approach. You know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about whether that statement's clear, whether the filmmakers are appropriate to be the ones to do it. But, you know, like, I just, I do want to separate that, like, uh, because you're, you're, you you keep talking about Westerns and so many American Westerns are not doing the same thing that this movie is doing. 
Oh yeah, this is well. He described it at the the talk, and this is a really interesting phrase I hadn't heard before. He's like, "Well, like we already had revisionist westerns, so what comes after revisionist westerns?" And he kind of talks about this as sort of like beyond revisionism, even. Well, that's um, that so yeah, so what he's kind um, of doing, yeah. Well, I mean, what what I, it speaks to what he's doing, which is he's taking the structure of classic westerns, which are framed from the points of view of white guys, as Brandon says, who are going west and doing a lot of killing, you know, and it's reframing it not as this heroic kind of mythic, you know, thing that must be done so that civilization, capital C, whatever that means, can emerge. It's being framed as something dark, as something destructive, as something that quite literally and metaphorically poisons, you know, the, the community. You know, and is making it impossible for anything to emerge except, you know, just ashes. You know, yeah. like you can't. It's like, like that. That's, that's kind of that's the interesting. Very interesting yeah. and relevant and salient. And I, and you know, I, I'm just going to keep going back to the audience perspective because, like, most audiences are not going to get that, and even most audiences who are, you know, like the the general like white audience who would probably go see this, are also not going to pick all that up. So no? there's a difference oh, there in like <laughs> intention versus like what the actual yeah. impact is. And I mean, it's very interesting, but I, I was, I wanted to ask about like how you described this film and like if anybody other than mm-hmm. says he could make something like this when that generation is gone. And I'm like the words that you were using, just generally speaking, not getting into the Western. Cause again, this is like the only Western he's done. So right. we can't talk about all of his stuff in those terms. I'm like, it sounds like Oppenheimer to me. Like you could say Christopher Nolan is taking a very thematic look at like what happened between these two people at, around this one thing in history. And what do we do with that moving forward? You know, it's. Sure, yeah, I mean, you could. Yeah, I mean. Just to pit these two movies together that are going to end up yeah. playing against each other and are in the same conversation in the same year, like they're definitely not at the same generation of filmmakers. So it's not like we're like, yes, like he has a very specific filmography, a very specific vision, a very specific oeuvre, but like, you know, he's not the only one who are, who is tackling things or has been. No, no, he's, he's not, but you know, there are very, they are few and far between and there do not not seem. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, it's just, it's, no, I don't. That's, the, that's exactly the reaction oh. I wanted, Katie. So is yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just there's just a dwindling number of, and yeah, I appreciate, I love that Christopher Nolan does it too. But it's the number of filmmakers who will, you know, take advantage of the enormous resources that you know the movie industry kind of has for you know, a very small number of folks and use it to like make really big thematically complex, you know, intelligent, you know, movies that are trying to spark complicated conversations. I mean, that's like, that's what it's all about, you know? And I just, I'll be sad when Scorsese isn't doing it anymore. Cause yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan's doing it too, but we used to have a lot more people who are doing it. And we used to have more people kind of more importantly, who would write the checks, you know? Um, like whole industrial, like reworking that is, creating a yeah. weird weird hurricane of conditions to talk about these things in 
Yeah, it's just uh, the market has shifted and media habits have changed, and you know, there's just less space for for up and coming filmmakers to you know sort of be getting checks to make big, expansive. Yeah, you know, it's all going back to uh, ad funded linear television. <laughs> well, I want to go back to this media question, this this like media change thing, because this is it's a big part of like you know like the ending of my kind of like extra diegetic con consideration of this film because if we're talking about the audience again like who what audience is this for um i you know the white audience is also saying i've heard that why do I want to go watch or why do I need to go see or why does it need to be made again a movie about white people exploiting the Native Americans? And so at the baseline audience reading, like that's also where they're coming from. And so they're not going to get this like revisionist, revisionist I Western. don't know that I can pinpoint a film that has done it this way before. Well, exactly, right? But is that going to get people into the theater to see it or get them into a conversation to a point where they I get mean, to, and, that, and, and I think that is relevant too, because most people, person. most people are not us, you know, they yeah. won't, they won't sit for an hour and a half talking about, talking about a movie like we do. But, yeah. Um, or taking other people's interpretations and opinions into like the, that conversation and letting that form and entertainment. A, a, a check with, uh, is that, is it eight zeros on it? Um, does that like they do so with the expectation that the movie is going to be mainstream to a degree? I do not believe otherwise, and that is just because like they okay we 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 want to be able to make films um we we want artists to be able to make interest to make interesting artistic films um but if you do it in the studio system or this one this film was financed by Apple because no one else would sign would sign that check but they do it with the expectation that they are going to make their money back. You know, they're going to either earn $250 million in the box office, or they're going to get subscribers to come in and offset the cost. You know, that's because uh, this will be on streaming not too long from now. It's an, it's an Apple movie. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so that's a, you, if you want, you, you can't di discount the, the financial implications and the financial reality about how the film industry works. But mm -hmm. Like I, the fact that this was allowed to be so expensive means that somebody, whether it was Marty, whether it was uh, uh, an industry executive, had the expectation that this would have some kind of mainstream appeal. And you know, and it's, maybe it's not it's not up to me to, to say that it does. But go ahead, Katie. I was just gonna say maybe it doesn't because of these things that we brought in about, you know. Is it going to engage the people? And so I think if we're talking about this more on the industry side, like creating that that conversation between like we worked with the Osage and is this an Osage movie is also a part of that. And exploration. we will not know if generation. We, will, no, we will never find out if they if Martin Scorsese delivered the movie that the money people expected him to do. You know, we um, don't like we're not we're not gonna find out that that disconnect. Um, but also the audience is close or whether just, it's not the audience has just changed so much and that's a part of like maybe like not knowing because he he obviously films this this views this film as art right like obviously and i get that and it's obviously there um and he cares he cares through his art he cares about the story 
and what happened and, in this story yeah, and, through and, the art. I, I believe but, like he he's he is trying to bring to light some te- some terrible things that white people did to Native Americans. The the but, whether he did and, it the correct way, not up to me to decide. Audiences aren't necessarily going to get that either, especially when he comes out into the media and says something like, I don't know why you can't go see my movie. It's three and a half hours long. You sit on your ass. I don't think he said sit on your ass, but you sit around in your living room watching TV for five hours a day. Why can't you go sit in a theater and see my movie? There are so He's much there. He's not helping himself because there are very different constraints, very different audience expectations, very different conditions that allow people to sit and watch something for that long, or even they're not just sitting and watching it for that long. And there's so I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding between this old school filmmaker and this new landscape of like media consumption and audience. I don't, th- I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. And at he all. needs to. He needs no, to if he I wants mean, his movie to be received. He's making it, he's not making it, I think, I think he's making it as much for, like, legacy and for film history. I mean, the the final destination for this film is, in some ways, like, the end of a class on Westerns. It's the final film, you know, after Unforgiven that you have to watch in a course on Westerns, or it's the last chapter in a book, you know, kind of charting the history of the Western or I mean, like in some ways, the audience for this film is is, you know, it's it's not just sort of like making it for, you know, the, I mean, it's going to play in the immediate kind of consumption sphere. You know, it's going to play the award circuit. It's going to hit the you know, it's going to be on streaming for a certain amount of time. But I mean, I think part of what's I think so, so remarkable about what he's doing is we've had such a shift towards like content, you know, like and we, things come we out talked about that on the show before, like cinema versus content or like, you know, what is what what are we doing right now? This is not cinema, obviously, but it's also not what yeah, right. he's doing. Right. Well, I mean, he's he's pushing for and trying to like kind of like he's he's making a movie that has a shelf life and he's kind of imagining it as being something that maybe very only only a very small number of nerds are going to look at. But he's he's imagining that, like, people are going to be. Take, you know, the people who are watching this and going to get the most from it are going to you know, invest the time. So I think, I don't know, to, to some of those points about, like, you know, who's this movie for? It's like, you know, if you don't want to watch a three and a half hour movie, then, you know, don't worry about it. If you don't want to watch, like, Marty's take on this story, then, you know, then don't. You know, it's, 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 he's, he's making it for whoever he's a wants to sort of dive in. He's a man in a structure of power that, that allows him to make this movie. We don't have an opportunity to watch this movie, not from a powerful way. So, we wouldn't, I mean, we have the movie in front of us and we can talk about that or we I can mean, not. I, I mean, I it's, think that there could, like, no. it, we could have gotten a $25 million version of this story made by a Native American filmmaker. It would not be anything like this. What and, and again, not speaking as to whether this is the version that's the made, festival. It wouldn't be anything. Yeah, be nice I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Dan. Yeah, I mean, it's fundamentally a different movie. You know, yeah. it's it's and we don't have it in front of us. You know, it doesn't exist. So I mean, and I you can't. My um, hypothetical review. rhetorical question is: What would happen if somebody like Martin Scorsese used their platform and their capital in order to push that story that could have been made? What does that mean? I, mean, I don't understand what that means. I mean, like he's going to just go promote a younger filmmaker and give them the money. 
Well, that's what Steven Spielberg does. Steven, Steven Spielberg is as much a brand as he is a filmmaker, and he has, you know, he's the executive producer on on dozens of films that he had ultimately had very little to do with, but putting his name at the top of it, that gives puts more eyes on the film. You know, and that's, that's yeah. I mean, Scorsese has, has certainly done that for for other filmmakers. Um, I mean, I guess the question that we're kind of circling around, and we've been doing it all 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 show is. You know, is a, an older white filmmaker like Martin Scorsese allowed to make a Western, you know, or is, you know, is, is that just not an artistic path that has value? And I think that's just I mean, I think that's where I come. What, what the American Western is, has is, you know, it can be very problematic for today's audiences, uh, you know, for reasons that we've already discussed. And I think. The, a lot of the intention with Killers of the Flower Moon is he's trying to take a lot of a lot of those problems and flip them over, and we're discussing whether or not he's succeeded. Um, but you know, so that's yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And it's I think like the it, westerns are popular, uh, especially with with older older viewers, but they are absolutely problematic. And I think yeah, and is it possible to make a film? that critiques those problematic elements of the genre and the history that the genre is representing without kind of falling back into and inadvertently kind of reproducing those very same problems. I mean, that's, that's the question. Yeah. That's the question that like every revisionist Western kind of grapples with. Right. Yeah. And uh, I just, you know, like as a piece of filmmaking too, like Brendan was saying, like the film feels clunky. It's not like, it it has its problems like formalistically as a film and i and i just it rubs me the wrong way in the whole context of like this whole conversation that we've been having that he could come out and condemn people for watching five hours of content at home but not be able to sit through his movie in a movie theater i think some of those Whereas, quotes are being taken out of context i mean for sure but I, there's still a message there there's still an essence. I mean, people are like at these these events are just constantly bringing up the Marvel thing, and I mean, all he's really doing is just. I mean, I don't know. Those 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 quotes are just some of that stuff is just so beyond the point of it, it, what it, like he's trying to. The important thing is that Marvel movies existing aren't preventing Martin Scorsese from making films. They are they're potentially um arguably you could say that they're making it more difficult for the next young Martin Scorsese, the next young American artsy filmmaker to, to, to break out and get his films noticed. But you know, it's not making it more difficult for Martin Scorsese to get funding and to make a movie. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's, his, that's exactly his point. I mean, his point is simply that like, yeah, they're making it harder for younger filmmakers to kind of come out and do try really creative things like me and my friends all did in the seventies. I mean, that's all he's saying, you know, and, you know, and all he's saying, I, I, I don't disagree with that, with that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the context matters. And I think like, a, Hmm. The, sometimes he, he absolutely runs his mouth at times that it, he doesn't need to do that. Um, yeah. And I think it just, he gets baited into like these dumb conversations too. I have to say, yeah. Like, you know, he, he wouldn't be talking about it if people didn't keep asking him about it. Oh, that's true. That's like all, all, he wants, all he wants to do is just like make some films that are really kind of, you know, pushing at the boundaries of what, you know, cinema can do and, you know, sort of explore these interests. And, 
you know, and I, so that's your, it. I mean, your comments about legacy is absolutely true. Like this is a movie that's going to be talked yeah. about for a while. Like there's still a lot of, di- I, I listen to podcasts. I read, I read a lot of industry news. Like there's still a lot of discourse weeks later about killers of the flower moon. We're, we're coming up on three weeks since the release and we're talking about it for two hours. Like, you know, so that's, that's going to continue. Um, there's going to be the, the next big, the next big artsy film. But again, like this is a, it's a piece that's going to be taught in film school uh, you know, give it give it five years and it's going to be at the end of a Western class or it's going to be like you can you can teach an entire course about Martin Scorsese or about 70s, uh, 70s American cinema and where they are, you know, where those filmmakers are these days. You know, there's. And aspirationally, you can even go you can even go higher out and say that I think he hopes, you know, if things, you know, depending on how you know, movies get remembered, you know, just generally. But like, I think he sort of sees this as a film that is part of a larger story that we've been telling ourselves across different media books oral tradition video games like just it's like the story of the west is a story of how we see ourselves as a country and how we kind of narrate our own relationship to our past and people who were here before and i think he's i think he's making a movie so that like when people are thinking about that they can turn to this film and kind of understand a crucial kind of portion of that story. That so I, I, I think a weird gray area of like theorizing the, the significance of authorial intent and those interpretations. Cause, cause we've talked about so much of his actual like comments and statements, which are so valuable and have changed some of the ways that I think about it, but the authorial intent at the end of the day, I think from like the, the perspective more that I'm leaning onto is like, when does that become the most his, his comments in the promotion about like oh yeah i rewrote i rewrote the movie to make it more about the osage like i don't think that helped him if assuming he assuming that actually did happen which i'm assuming that it did and that and that it's we get we were delivered exactly the same movie i don't think him going on a microphone and said and saying that us helps our like i think it 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 paints the but it paints the movie a certain way before we ever go into it like, does that make sense? Do you agree? But I also just... Yeah, I mean, reception... Yeah, I mean, the director can kind of set the reception of his film, but I don't know. I mean... And I think he's set himself up in a way that, like, if he's setting up the reception of his film, even taken out of context, or being baited into a conversation and then saying, like, you can sit for five hours and watch something at home. Why can't you go watch my film? Just, you know, there's so many, like, audience based and like industry and shifting of of you know consumption based issues there that like i don't know something about that just rubs me the wrong way because it's totally different medium it's not the same it's just not and maybe it was more the same even like 20 years ago but it's just not anymore and there's so many different aspects and things that come into that that if he wants to comment about the change from a a mechanics point of view like is it's closer to film than it's ever been before but the way that it's consumed is still very different like if and you're the way that about, it's structured it, for that consumption is different than structuring yeah, like something if, but if you're, you're strictly talking about the way it's produced it's closer to cinema than it's ever been but the way it's consumed is still very very different and it's changing still changing constantly predicated on an on an episodic structure even if it is produced more and more like cinema quote unquote uh, 
So there's just so many things that are different there that I think like it's obvious. I think it's just like an of the generation thing. I don't know. Like, please elaborate and tell me I have missed something. But there's just such a divide there, which I think is just so quintessential of 2023 and why I think this film could be like, that's the one that that has so many different things going on with it, you know, of, of that era of filmmaking. If we get a chance to, you know, to like look back at like more of this larger picture, which is part of the vast larger picture of this revisionist Western conversation. So like, there's like two different, like big scope conversations and we are more in the middle of like this weird change in the audience being more of a factor in that reception. And so like for him to come out and say, you can, watch five hours of whatever at home but you complain about my three and a half hour long movie i think there's just it's so indicative of a disconnect between what he's trying to do with this film and like what actually can end up happening with it and and i reiterate you could you could shave 20 minutes out of this movie and change none of the content like if you you can you uh, you could take almost one second off of every edit and it would be under three hours and it would it wouldn't it wouldn't it would uh, tighten up the pacing obviously but like you wouldn't have to cut any dialogue to to make this film tighter than it is um you know yeah but then it would you would lose that i see i should probably say i'm i'm of the opinion that movies should either be 90 minutes or 900 minutes with no in between like i'm either i either want either no i'm serious like the best films are either tight 90 minutes or an expansive five hours, you know, and some of the best uh, films I've I, ever seen. I, watched, I, I, I sat on three film screenings today and that was only possible because they were number one, you know, it's a film festival and one film runs almost immediately into the next, but they were all 90 minutes or less, you know, <laughs> so that's. Yeah. Right. No, I, I love the tight, you know, I mean, we were talking about um, Dracula and those universal movies earlier. I mean, those things are 75 wonderful minutes, but, yeah. but anyway, um, what I'm what I'm getting at here with this is I think what Scorsese is deliberately trying to do, and it's very Sisyphean, it's very much like, oh man, you're heroically kind of like swimming upstream. You know, the the cinematic traditions that he grew up with, old Hollywood, you know, European art films, I mean, those those are gone. You know, like we're the movie theater is arguably like gone, you know. Like, I mean, they still exist. We still go see movies there, but you know, the last two movies Scorsese made have been financed by streamers and, you know, with the in- intention that, like, a lot of people are going to be blowing, you know, kind of having the Irishman on and this movie on in the background while they while they fold laundry. And he kind of knows, he kind of, I mean, he knows that he, that's that's just the reality that we're dealing with, you know, but he's even within that, he's kind of it almost feels as if he's um, like taking those kind of basic conditions like, all right, I'm making a movie for a streamer. And they're going to kind of let me go long because we can, and they're going to give me a lot of money because we're at that stage. Well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make like a film that really just, you know, is, is kind of antithetical to that in a lot of ways. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have the resources and I'm going to make an old style, like, you know, like a film, which kind of embodies my idea of cinema as an experience. It's embodied, it's temporal. Like you have to actually go and sit and sort of set yourself uh, out from the world. Like he's, he's trying to sort of give that a last hurrah because when he goes, I mean, yeah, we have some Christopher Nolans who are still kind of doing it, but it's not, 
to get to even Poland, you have to swim upstream. I mean, this is just not the direction our moving image culture is moving in. And, you know, there's not a lot individually, you know, one even really great filmmaker can do about it. But, you know, there's, there's, I feel like this is the dialectic. What? I said, I feel like this is the synthesis phase of our dialectic. That we've yeah, right. No, it is. I mean, well, it's, it's, oh, oh, God, Marxist dialectics. It's fun, man. Thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis. We, uh, you get to new ideas by, by charging other ideas at each other until new things happen. Mm-hmm. Collisions and explosions of thought. Like often, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he uh, Christopher Nolan read a little bit of Marx, you know, to to get through that screenplay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to, you know, yeah, he is. He's kind of doing a um, like I am going to drop, you know, like I mean, gosh, it kind of this film kind of reminds. It's very slow cinema. It's very much characteristic of the kinds of things Bellatar does, you know, like I've been like he's not making a seven and a half hour film, but he's like kind of making his version of like a Satan tango or, you know, just like, or, or one of these, you know, like this lot of these, these European films that are made for festivals that are literally like four and a half hours long, you know, and he's dropping that into, you know, the Netflix crowd he's dropping that into the Academy crowd, dropping that into, you know, anyone who's like, Oh, it's Marty, you know, like he's kind of, there's something very kind of like stealthy about like, all right, I'm going to use this opportunity to make like the kind of movie that, nobody's really making anymore and probably won't get to make again because there's not an infrastructure for them anymore. So he's sort of cobbling it together a little bit, but it's like how we, we've got a, an old school, old hall or new old. (laughs) Those two terms are mean totally different things in this context now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But we have this, let's just say old school, old school filmmaker who appreciates the art house, who appreciates the, the, structure of cinema and in a traditional way of making films what happens when that when somebody has to say with genre with narrative with all of these things with all these filmmaking tools gets dropped into a streaming world i mean i think it's just that's just how he's able to get it made i mean he's kind of at that point where he's decided going through a studio in the traditional way is just not a like what does that even mean now and b they're not going to let me do I mean, he's kind of he's in some ways he's kind of an independent. Um, he's kind of become a real a true independent filmmaker, and that's weird to say in spite of the yeah, he's really. got all this. But, but he is. I mean, he is. Yeah, he yeah, is doing like or like what Orson Welles did. You know, like you said, you know, Orson Welles like took advantage of like little jobs that he would get, and then he would do what he was going to do anyway. You know, like I mean, that's sort of what Scorsese has done. I don't think he's. I don't think he all cares, you know, if like people are watching this on Netflix. And I mean, I think that's just how he got the money. And he's he's going to make the film that, you know, he wants to make. And we can either come out for it or not, you know, and just kind of, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's a little bit like, you know, I don't think he, I just, you know, if he was in his, you know, 20 years ago when he was like really trying hard to win like best director, you know, like you can totally see how his like, you know, those those mid 2000s films like he's just like really kind of like thinking hard about what what's going to play well for the audience. And I kind of think he's moved past that, like since Silence, especially like once he made Silence, it's like, oh, you're going to make a two and a half hour movie. 
like where these Christian missionaries are like being literally like slowly tortured to death until they like renounce God. Like that's going to be like, I think kind of since then he's just, I think he's kind of at a point where he's going to get money to make his next movie, no matter how good or bad it does. And I think he's just kind of embracing that, you know, and if we're on for the, you know, we're, if we're on for the ride, great. But if not, you know, like, I don't think he cares anymore about what anyone says. I think he's doing it. Yeah. What I've discovered in this conversation beyond, you know, taking some other things into still i still think what i think but but it's a more informed opinion and um it's a more interesting landscape to be sure but i think um like even here in this thing that we've done like i i'm an advocate for the audience and i think in moving forward in my graduate coursework i can know that more as like and maybe that's indicative of of the landscape of like how Hollywood is having trouble restructuring itself. You know, are we going to speak to the top floor of these deals that need to be made to get WGA back and, you know, SAG back? Or are we going to look at like the other side of the coin is the, you know, the people. And I think like in, in that way, I'm thinking more audience focused on, approaching anything these days um so and i think like this whole situation here just kind of brings that all to a head specifically because of course it knows the film the in the in the age of social media like when you have we, we we've talked a lot about who who this film is made for who films are made for in general we've talk, like talking about the audience and movies from the audience's perspective does in the age of social media, you know, like you make your movie, but if you, if you make it for a certain audience or you, you don't care who your audience is, or you don't care about your audience, you just attract vitriol from the audience. And then you're just like, it's because it's going to, it, it, I mean, you know, you used to be able to say any news is good news. You know, bad bad press is still press, and like these, is that still the case these days? Like, does 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 Marty go does Marty going on a mic and talking about how how he uh, rewrote the movie? Does that help the movie? Does it does it hurt the movie? Does it affect the movie at all? Um, and I, you know, there are more people than ever listening to those statements. Um, you know, because the in if this was. 1995 and someone was you know they were probably in a movie theater three months ago and they saw a trailer for a movie that says the next film from martin scorsese then oh so i'm gonna code i'll be back in three months but that was that would be all that that person knew about the movie you know they would know what they saw in the trailer in the cinema or a blur you know this much text on a vertical in a newspaper um and you know so they wouldn't hear Marty, uh, Marty going on a mic talking, uh, you know, talking about, you know, and it's not, it's not that that media wasn't there, but it wasn't so readily available to the mainstream. People have promoted movies since movies have been made and not, you know, I don't want to make it seem like that's not the case, but you like before, before social media and cell phones, like you had to go out of your way to get that stuff. And now it's now it, it, now it, it just comes to your phone. So it's, 
the 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 world that we're the world that we live in is is changing and it's changing media and media is like it's just a cycle and one thing changes the next thing and that thing changes the first thing and it's 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 a big mess any any closing thoughts before we wrap it up uh i really liked the movie and uh want to see it again and i hoped uh that i would be able to see it this week but i couldn't because i have a two-year-old so i'm gonna try streaming probably the next time i i try to do uh new films you know like they usually have like an early screening on thursdays um you know i've been i've been working a lot i'm perpetually exhausted so just knowing that it was three and a half hours i went on a saturday morning the screening started at 11:30 and i walked out of the theater at 3:17 <laughs> nearly nearly 4 hours yes. later because of previews and such um so i just i devoted a saturday and you know like i you know i like i said at the top of the show i like the movie i think it has some issues um not nowhere near among my favorite martin scorsese films um definitely a story that deserves to be told We've talked a lot on that subject. Did is it was it told right? Who needs to tell it? That kind of thing. But ultimately, I like the movie. I love uh, I love a lot of Martin Scorsese's work. I've seen some of his films many many times. Despite liking this movie, I don't know that I'm gonna like. I'm I I might watch it again to to absorb some stuff uh, more thoroughly, but not that it won't be a uh, it won't be a regular one. You know, like for it. Katie, have you seen Goodfellas? I'm going to call you out right now. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, you guys think Goodfellas. <laughs> uh, no. and Taxi Driver are like the two ones I go back to all the time. Taxi Driver is like essential. You're going you to have thoughts about yeah, Taxi Driver yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, I'm just teasing. Uh, any any uh, thoughts before we wrap up, Katie? Anything you want to say? I stand by everything that I've like brought up and sure. you know, obviously have thoughts and opinions about just because it's also just a different way of looking at it but i'm not here to change your mind no i know i know i know i'm just you know there's so much context to come into this that like i still it's not one of my favorite movies i don't think i would see it again i mean definitely not for entertainment value i didn't find it entertaining even from even from a filmmaking perspective it just doesn't jive with me and sometimes that happens but can I think about it in terms of like historically situated? Sure. Like I'd love to revisit that. Um, especially from the genre question, because that's my main in like genre theory is like my baseline thing. Right. So mm-hmm. from that, like, yeah, I will I'd love to revisit this film in that context, but do I want to sit down and watch it again? I I <laughs> don't I don't think I need to do that to I, I there, the there are a lot of clips of this movie that can be used to teach a lot of things but mm-hmm. as a as a singular piece of cinema that you sit down and experience for three and a half continuous hours i think that's a different conversation uh, yeah you say something, Dan? yeah i mean it's, it's it's a you know a cinematic event i mean sure. um it's you you know it's kind of like just sort of the other the other part of the slow cinema thing and the slow cinema tradition it's like you know every screening of Satan Tango is really special because it's a seven and a half hour movie. 
so it doesn't get screened all that <laughs> so there's i don't know i think there's something about like yeah i mean this is one of those movies where like goodfellas i can watch that like every month and for the rest of my life and not get bored shutter island the departed you can the departed, yep. this is like this is a like watch this movie you know carve out you know your part of your day and go sit you know sit with it for that that three hours and then absorb it and process it through conversation and 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 reflection over the next however many whatever period of time it's in your brain you know but yeah it's definitely not like a uh like you know like we're gonna sit down and just like watch killers of the flower moon it's not one we need to re-experience every holiday uh, I mean, it's that's why again, it's it's part of a piece with like silence. I mean, it's 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 sort of like the American silence or whatever, you know. It's yeah, yeah. And, and that silence is absolutely one that there is so much to unpack with it too. You know, it's a it's also a really grueling movie that you just don't really sit down and watch all that I'm often. So, so so much of this is just like just waiting for the next poor person to get murdered for no good reason. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's the Catholic element. He's, you know, he's feels really guilty, and he's trying to make you feel really kind of guilty. And it's like I, the I Catholicness is coming out really strong in his late career. I definitely, definitely, definitely have on the top of my list to finally watch Shutter Island. I, I I do um, think you'll like Shutter Island. I, I I'm looking at the trailer and the IMDb page right now, and even just looking at it, it looks more cinematic. It looks more visually interesting to me it's, than it's that, anything. That, that, and and Hugh, like certainly for modern Scorsese, that and Hugo are probably his most visually interesting film. Like there, yeah. he has a he has a style, and his style is very simple and understated for the most part. Those two definitely step outside of that that wheelhouse. Um, I think you will have some not so good things to say about Taxi Driver, uh, and I. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's because of the uh, Jodie Foster and things related to that, but um, uh, that's another one. It's the you'll you'll get a real close look at like darkness and the American psyche, you know, oh, in that film. Like, okay, I don't need that. That's another one that's like, oh, this you want to see ideology and, and work in someone's brain. You know, like maybe that's the other half of this. It's just like a Pavlovian conditioning where I'm like, no, I don't need this right now. Um, (laughs) I get it. And that's that's what produces the strong response. I mean, there are a few other filmmakers, and maybe this is just where I should end it. Few other filmmakers are as good. Hitchcock is maybe the only exception to that to that statement Mm -hmm. at putting you in the eyes and the thoughts and the feelings of you know the characters who are in the story and. Mm lately like that's uncomfortable just kind of in general and lately he's kind of leaned into the way that that kind of approach to storytelling can really sort of get under your skin you know and really kind of get the, you know, some of the people that he's getting you inside the head of are not good people a lot of the time yeah but but you can relate to them anyway you can still relate to them even as you recognize that they're not good people yeah and that's and that's where the discomfort a lot of the time comes from especially in like taxi driver and this one too, you know, like it's, it's they, he's still sort of doing that. Like I'm going to put you in the heads of people who you recognize and seem like people you might know and might even be you. And I'm going to show you how they rationalize doing terrible things, you know, and in the course of doing that. Yeah. In the course of doing together and the fact that 
for at least part of this movie, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a taxi driver. Yeah, right. It is part of it. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a little there uh, full circle in this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and De Niro dispatches him in the taxi. Uh-huh. So on that note, uh, we're going to wrap it up. As, as always, guys. Uh, thanks for watching. Uh, if you want to hear more, don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm Ninja25 on all the things, sometimes with an underscore at the end. Uh, you'll find us on YouTube and podcast services by searching Ninja25 Reviews, no space in Ninja25. Uh, and we'll be back soon with a new review. And until then, go watch a movie.